0: Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Today, God speaks to us from Psalm 81. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. Begin the music, strike the timbrel play the melodious harp and lyre. Sound the ram's horn at the new moon, and when the moon is full, on the day of our festival, this is a decree for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. When God went out against Egypt, he established it as a statute for Joseph. I heard an unknown voice say, I removed the burden from their shoulders. Their hands were set free from the basket. In your distress, you called, and I rescued you. I answered you out of a thundercloud. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear me, my people, and I will warn you, if you would only listen to me, Israel, you shall have no foreign god among you. You shall not worship any god other than me. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth, and I will fill it. But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. If my people would only listen to me, if Israel would only follow my ways, how quickly I would subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before him, and their punishment would last forever. But you would be fed with the finest of wheat with honey. From the rock, I would satisfy you. This is the word of the Lord. Check,
1: check, check. You guys hear me okay? Nice. Thanks, JV, for that reading. And it's such a privilege to be able to stand before you guys, open the word of God, and just put his excellencies on display. Would you join me in, uh, in praying that God will bless our time together in this passage? God, we thank you so much, and it's no small thing that you would meet with us again this morning. It's your presence to speak to us, to bless us, to give us a word. And we pray that, as your, as your word just told us, to open that we would open our mouths to you, trusting that you would feed us and fill us with good things. Bless the preaching of your word, bless the hearing of it, united with faith by your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I'm not going to ask you guys to raise your hands, but... My guess is that if I were to ask for you to raise your hands and uh, answer how many singers we have in the house, only a small percentage would actually raise their hands. (laughs) I think Siri, Siri's trying to steal the show. Um, But uh, yeah, my, my guess is that not many of you would raise your hands and Those who would will probably be the people who were up here helping lead worship. And, uh, but I I would like to say that we're all singers. It doesn't mean we all sing beautifully um, and on pitch all the time, but we're all natural born singers. Uh, I mean, I have three kids, three daughters, and if I remember correctly, all of them, before they could even articulate an intelligible word they were trying to sing along the songs that we would play around the house or in the car. And it's just something so natural to us. Every human culture throughout time, every nation and place, singing has been a big part of what it means to be human. And I mean, another way to look at it is that we're all natural born praise givers. We all naturally give praise to things that we think are, are excellent or are amazing. Take, uh, Take CrossFit for example. I'm sure you guys have all heard the reputation of CrossFitters. That I, how do you know that someone does CrossFit? Well, they've told you exactly. <laughs> they can't help but tell everyone they know and love about how amazing it is and how you've got to try it. Or maybe we do this with our favorite restaurant. We tell all of our friends that you've got to try this place out. The 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 mole is amazing, you know. Um, we do it with our favorite sports teams. I've, I've never been a sports guy, but I always get heat from people because I wear a bunch of hats and I, and I don't follow the teams. I just like how they look. Um, and like, even if your team absolutely sucks, you still sing the praise of your team. You know, we're, we're naturally giving praise to the things that we think are excellent. And even when we do it without tune and, and rhythm, it's still a form of singing. And I think it's safe to say that this is naturally a world full of singers. A world full of singers and songs, and we all naturally join in on the chorus and sing along to the songs that strike the chords of our heart. And why is this? Well, I think it's safe to say we were made to sing. More specifically, we were made to sing the praises of the God who created us. A uh, important document within our tradition here at REH and within our denomination is uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism of Faith. And we believe it's a faithful representation of the, of the preaching of the Bible, I mean of the teaching of the Bible. And it starts off with this question and answer. What is the chief end of man? Or a more modern way to say that is, what were we made for? Why did God create us as human beings? And the answer is, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And this innate gift and and trait that we have as humans to sing and to give praise to what is excellent, that strikes at the very heart of what it means to glorify God and enjoy Him. If if we're really glorifying God and enjoying Him, singing is going to be a big part of that. So we're always singing. And the question really isn't, do you sing? The real question should be, what songs are you singing? Think about it. What songs are you singing? As you ponder that question, we'll look at two main points this morning. Number one is what kind of singing were we made for? What are the traits and characteristics that God created each of us for? um, for, For the kind of singing that God created each of us for. And the second point we'll look at is what is the greatest song that's ever been sung? And my end hope for the sermon, my my goal is that it would be a small part in singing becoming a significant part of your spiritual life down the line. So let's look at this first point. What kind of singing were we made for? What kind of traits characterize the the singing that God created us for? And this psalm that we have before us, Psalm 81, is a a great text to, to investigate this from. And mainly because it's driven by two main commands, the first of which is in verse 1. Sing for joy. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. And there's another command that we'll look a little closer at later on in verses 8 through 10. Hear, O my people. Listen. If my people will but listen to me. And open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. Looking at this first verse, this first command, sing joyfully, shout joyfully to the God of Jacob, God our strength. The the kind of singing that we were created for is meant to be joy-filled, is meant to be characterized by joy. And this is a joy that's not based on our moods, our flimsy, ever-changing moods. But this joy is meant to be based on unchanging truth. Is true in every season of life, no matter what we're going through. And that truth is captured in this verse by singing praise to God who is our strength, the God of Jacob. It is an unchanging truth that for all those who latch on to God through faith, that he is our strength, our ever-present strength in, in all times of need, no matter what we face. In times of suffering, in times of sorrow, in times of joy and in laughter, in times of temptation and failure. God is our strength if we trust in him. That The same God who created all that's all around us, who created this whole universe by the word of his mouth. We could say he sang the world into existence. That God who has all power chose to bind himself to sinful human beings who've broken all of his commandments. And, and to be with us to, to unite himself with those who trust in him in an intimate way, to promise that I will be your God, I will always be your God, and you will be my people. That's no small thing, and that, that's enough of a reason for us to sing joyfully to God for all of our days. But the truth of the matter is we don't always feel joyful. I can personally attest that there's many Sundays that I, I'm sitting here and I'm stressed out over my kids, not listening or or something going on in life, and I don't want to sing along to the joyful songs we're singing up here. Does that mean that we when when we're not feeling it that we should still sing along to these songs of joy? Yes. Even though that may not be the question that we I mean the answer that we were hoping for. And why is this? I mean, one is because God said so. But how content with that answer were you when your parents gave it to you as kids. Um, one thing that's beautiful about singing, and this goes beyond just our Christian experience of it, is it, it touches the core of what it means to be human, and it can stir things up in our soul that no other form of communication can. You, you all might have seen videos or had personal experience with someone who's suffering from dementia, from Alzheimer's. and they can't even remember the, the appearance of those that they, they love, they've loved all their life, they can't recognize their loved ones. But they hear a song that was meaningful to, to them from their childhood or years before, and, and something just comes alive in them. Something lights up and, and they may even start to sing along. There's something spiritual about singing. And I think we can use that word to describe it. And, When we join in on these songs of joy here on Sundays or even at home when we're just spending our time worshiping the Lord, it's not just something we do, but singing is something that is done to us. When we sing the truth of how good God has been to us, it changes us. Here's a a biblical verse that kind of touches on that, Colossians 3.16. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul is saying that the word not only dwells in us through teaching, through listening to teaching or what you're doing right now, sitting and and listening to me preach and and reading the word, but the, the words of Christ dwell in us richly when we sing them that they actually change us. It's not just something we're doing for God. It's something that God is doing to us and in us when we sing to him. So we should sing songs of joy even when we're not feeling up to it. But does that mean that we only sing joyful songs? No. I mean, to be honest, I don't think God would be glorified if all we sang were joyful songs in this world. This world has fallen. It's jacked up in so many ways. It's not what it should be. And it wouldn't be genuine, it wouldn't be sincere to, to sing nothing but songs of joy to God. I mean, when you look at the book of Psalms that, that we're focusing on in the sermon series, it's a book of songs. And you'd be surprised the, the, the amount of psalms out of these 150 songs that are not joyful songs. There are some sad songs here some songs of anger, heart-wrenching songs. Sometimes the singers cry out, God, where are you? Why are you hiding your face? Why aren't you answering me? Why are you letting me go through this? And and they're given to us to show us that God doesn't just want our our, our joyful songs. He wants our sad songs, our songs of anger and discontent. But the beauty of it is that As Christians, when we sing these songs through faith, even when they're not particularly joyful songs, they're not just sad songs. They're not just angry songs. But they have an underlying tone of joy. Why? Because we know that God's salvation has the final word, not our suffering, not our sorrow. And that brings us to the next aspect of what kind of singing God created us to sing. It's singing that is centered around God's saving work. And we see that all throughout this psalm. I mean, looking at verses 3 through 5, blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day, for it's a statute for Israel. Looking at verse 5, he made it a decree in Joseph when he went out against the land of Egypt. Verse 6, I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. This is all recounting God's history His saving history with Israel. God is telling Israel, remember, I have a history with you. I've saved you. I've made you my own. And Israel did a lot of things not right. It messed up in so many ways. But yet God was always faithful to them as their Savior. And verse 8 says, or no, verse 7, In distress you called and I delivered you. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. What's that about? Well, in in Israel's history, after God valiantly, miraculously saved them from the oppression, the slavery that they were experiencing for centuries in the land of Egypt, he parts the Red Sea, literally parts the Red Sea, and brings his people safely through, while he closes it on on their enemies, who were bent on, on keeping them as slaves. After this miraculous feat, they're wandering through the wilderness, and, and they start to doubt God. They start to grumble, complain, even argue. They tell Moses, bro, what are you doing? Why did you bring us out here to die? If we were just going to die. We could have died in Egypt with full bellies. <laughs> but you brought us out here to, to die of thirst. But yet, what did God do? What was his response to them? Another miracle, he graciously quenches their thirst from from a rock. From a rock, he makes water flow to feed the whole community. Not once, but twice. Even amid Israel's imperfect cry of help to God. It wasn't even a cry of help, it was a complaint, an argument. My question is, is there anyone in here today who can testify that God has had a history with you? That he's been gracious and saved you from some mess. That he's relieved your shoulders of some burdens. Some slavery that you did not have the strength to break those chains. Maybe there's been times in your life where you've wondered, God, what are you doing? Did you bring me into the situation to kill me? Well, I, I I don't see how I get out of this. But yet God... He, he graciously just blew your mind, provided for you in a way that you never could have even expected. Maybe without you even asking because you were too busy complaining and grumbling. I, I know that's happened in my life. And when we, when we bring these types of, this, this history that God has had with us to, to mind in our hearts, It adds that joy to our songs, even in the midst of suffering, even when we're in a situation where we don't currently see the way out. And Israel, of all people, with God's history with them, they should have known that they weren't supposed to worship other gods, but they had an issue with idols. They constantly, uh, you see it as a reoccurring theme all throughout the Old Testament where They're bowing down to these these images of of deities that they look to for salvation. And and God is saying in verses 8 through 16, this this brings us to our third aspect of what is the kind of worship or the kind of singing that God created us for. It's not just joyful singing. It's not just singing that's centered around God's saving work, but it's, it's singing that praises the name of God above every idol. In verses 8 through 10, God says, hear my people while I admonish you, O Israel. If you will, but listen to me. Remember, this is a song here. God is singing to them. He's saying, listen to my song. Listen to me. Give me your ear. There should be no strange God among you. Don't bow down to these foreign gods. I'm the Lord, your God. I'm the one who's been with you through it all. I'm the one who saved you, who brought you through when you didn't think you could make it out. And open your mouth wide. I will feel it. I will feed you with good things. I will satisfy your soul. This is the song that God sings to Israel, that he sings to us, and he's, he's hearkening us to listen to. And even though we may not manufacture these man-made physical resemblances of, of deities like Israel, we may not bow down to a, a, a rock in the shape of a cow, you know, um, we, we, we might feel like we're too sophisticated for that. But we're no less susceptible to the idolatry that Israel displayed over and over again. Anything in our lives that we let take the place of the ultimate, of the first, of the supreme, takes the place that's only reserved for God, has become an idol. You know, there's authors and, and pastors. Tim Keller, for example, has written so eloquently on this. But there's so many idols, there's no limit to them. Maybe money is your idol. Are you singing the song of praise of money, giving everything you have to get as much as you can before time is out? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe sex, alcohol, comfort, pleasure. The list goes on, success. And none of these things in and of themselves are are bad. That's the crazy thing about them, that these are all beautiful gifts from God, meant to give us pleasure and and provide for us. But when we take those great things and make them the greatest thing in our lives, they become idols. And the thing about these idols is that they they sing the same song that God sings in verses 8 through 10. They say, listen to me. I'm calling out to you. Listen to me. I'm the one who's brought you through what you went through. I'm the one who was there for you when no one else was. Open your mouth wide to me. I will make you whole. I will feed you. I will satisfy you. These idols sing, sing the same song that God sings. But when they sing, they promise something that they can never give. No created thing could ever give us what can only come from the Creator. These these idols, they promise what they ultimately end up stealing from us. We go to these things for joy, for comfort, for peace, and we end up miserable, uncomfortable, distressed, alone, until they ultimately suck the life out of us and kill us. Idols promise what can only give to us in God, what what, what God can only give to us. You know, living in this world with with all of the different idols, it's like navigating in in a sea full of singing sirens, singing their alluring songs. And when we swim towards the songs of the idols, they embrace us and, and they drag us to the bottom of the ocean and drown us until there's no more life left. But when we swim toward the singing of the God of the Bible, the God of Jacob, the God who is our strength. He elevates us to the highest of heights, fills us in ways that we never thought we could be filled, satisfies us completely. He gives us a joy that no one and nothing can take away, a satisfaction that nothing can take away. And, and the truth of the matter is, we're never really able to obey the command of verse one to sing joyfully to the Lord from our hearts. We're never really fully able to obey that command until we first learn to obey the command in verses 8 to 10. To listen to God singing. To, to, to listen to God singing and to take him up on his offer, to open our mouths to him and trust that he will really feed us with every good thing and satisfy us. When we learn to love God singing, then we can actually sing back to him. We don't become good singers by focusing on how we sound, but we become good singers by listening to God's voice and his song to us, obeying him, opening our mouths, tasting the Lord and seeing that he's truly good. We become good singers by falling in love with the God who sings to us. This brings us to our our second, final point, and I promise it won't be as long as the first. What is the greatest song that's ever been sung? There have been a lot of amazing singers that have graced this earth. You know, I love me some Aretha Franklin, Whitney Houston, some Anita Baker. But Whitney, Aretha, Anita, it got nothing on Jesus Christ. (laughs) Jesus is the greatest singer who's ever graced this earth. What do I mean? Well, going back to that that purpose that we found in in the Shorter Catechism, Westminster Shorter Catechism, what were we made for? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That was Jesus' whole life. His whole life showed us what it looks like to glorify God and enjoy him forever. His whole life was the most beautiful and perfect song of praise to God from beginning to end. The first verse Was him being born in a a humble manger. The reoccurring chorus was his faithfulness to the will of God through a life of suffering. Singing, My will is to, yeah, my, my drink and my food is to do the will of the Father. Nothing satisfies me more but to obey God. And Jesus sang this in response to the song that God already sang over him. We hear it said over and over in the gospel that God sang from heaven. This is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus' obedience was always in response to that song of God. And Jesus' final verse of his life song was his resurrection from the grave and his ascension, saying, it is finished, where he ascended to the right hand of the Father, And he and the Father sing over us with loud shouts of joy. When we put our faith in Jesus, we join in on the chorus of his song, of his perfect life. When we say the song that his life sang was better than any song we could ever muster up with our lives. When we see his song as our light, our salvation, his life, death, and resurrection. That we can hear God sing over us, the same song that he sang over Jesus. You are my beloved child, my beloved son, my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. We can't earn it. There's nothing we can do to earn this love. This song of God is given by grace, by singing the song of the gospel of Jesus' life and making it our own. Through faith, Jesus' perfect song of praise to God because it becomes God's love song to us. The best singing is done by those who realize that they are just singing back to the, who, the God who's already singing over them, joyfully. We as Christians sing because God sent his song of salvation into the world. John, The Gospel of John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is the word of God that became flesh. Maybe another way to look at that is Jesus is the song of God. He's the lyrics of God's song of salvation, become flesh in human form, showing us that God is well pleased with us, that we are everything we ought to be when we trust in Christ. When When we realize this, we can sing back to God. You have relieved my shoulder of the burden. You've saved me from slavery. I am yours and you are mine. God sings to us to open our mouths wide that he will fill and satisfy us with every good thing. And we look forward to that ultimate day when all of God's people will gather around his throne, our hearts completely satisfied in the presence of the one true God, where we, we will all open our mouths and God will fill us with a new song. Brothers and sisters, singing God's praise stokes the fires of the love of God in our hearts like nothing else will. Maybe your heart's been feeling kind of dull and apathetic towards the Lord lately. My challenge to you is maybe this week, try singing God's praises while you're alone. In your, well, I was going to say in your car, but I'm still getting used to the New York life. <laughs> singing your heart on the subway <laughs> at home. And maybe you'll be able to sing with us next Sunday with even more joy. Try singing from a place of awareness that God is already singing over you with loud shouts of joy perfectly pleased with you because Jesus is the perfect song that we were meant to sing. And we join in on his chorus through faith. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your patience. We thank you that you are our strength, our salvation. We confess that Our lives haven't been the song that they ought to be, that we haven't sang as we have were created to. But we thank you for the song of Jesus' life that is perfect, that is always ongoing. We pray that you help us to join into that song through faith each day, knowing that you're singing over us. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem Podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.